0: There's this misconception that if somebody's successful, they made good decisions. I think people underestimate just how much luck is involved in success. I mean, you could make a unbelievably good decision and be right 80% of the time and still have it work out badly for you 20% of the time. You could make a god awful decision and only be right 20% of the time and still have it win. And so when looking to others, it's really important to try to delineate whether they actually made a string of good decisions based off of fundamental principles that you think are worth copying, or whether they just got lucky, like straight up.
1: This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. I am so fascinated by conversations with entrepreneurs. Now, I get it. I am totally biased. This is the population I love to hang out with. But there are some people, there are some individuals who kind of like a nonfiction book, just stimulate your brain to think outside the box, outside that normal purview. And my guest today is one of those people. He's someone who I've had the opportunity and pleasure to uh, come across and to listen at conferences and not just listen at conferences like a a guest in the audience, but hang out with around the campfire, around the pool, around wherever we happen to be and really have an opportunity to get uh, to know him. And he is what I call in my world, a reliable thinker, someone who I can turn to and someone who's you know, feed or book or or, or speaking gig sort of comes across my purview, and it will always give me pause for thought. It will always be a worthwhile conversation, and it's from those conversations at that thirty thousand foot level with anyone. But this person is one of those individuals in particular that just starts to spawn and accelerate so many ideas in my own world. It triggers me to step outside the paradigm and the frame of reference that is informing so many of of my own initiatives or approaches to my business or frankly to my life. And so the through line that I wanted to explore in these next 5 episodes is going to introduce you to a series of guests who in their own discipline and in their own arenas are approaching a common problem from a different perspective. And so it is with that that I introduce you to the first of several of these conversations. And this first one is with an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur who has a history in the health and fitness uh, realm, but someone who has a a long-standing history of having his cake and Eating it too, of being very clear on what he wants to have out of his life at any given moment and how his business can actually support that lifestyle. He will challenge you to view some of the problems in your life and in your business differently. He will challenge you to stop thinking in ways that are not driving success and outcomes or the success and outcomes that you are looking for in your life. And he does this from a place of recurrent and repeated success. It's in fact, I think, his thinking and his way of viewing a problem that has led to so many of the accelerations that he's had within his own career. It is truly my pleasure to introduce you to and have you have the opportunity to listen from my friend, John Goodman. John Goodman, welcome to Impact. Good
0: to be here. What's up? How's your bunker?
1: My bunker. My bunker is my it's my safe space. So I finally had to just hit record because we had covered a breadth of topics in the five minutes that we were chatting before we got underway. I, I don't want to give anyone FOMO, but we touched on virtual hamburgers yes. and entirely disrupting the health and fitness industry, how to become razor focused in one's business, how to uh-huh. say no artfully, and why... Personal brands are going to trump all other business endeavors. Believe me.
0: No, but they were all kind of related, which is, they which were all is related. the most interesting thing. Like the virtual hamburgers, I feel like is the thing that brings it, <laughs> brings it all together.
1: All together. And while I, I do want to start with virtual hamburgers, what I'm going to ask you to share with my audience is who is John Goodman, this entrepreneur, this entrepreneur that I've been having the, the great pleasure of intersecting with over the last five plus years who really just always does this compelling and interesting stuff in the marketplace. I've always just respected your way of thinking outside the box. Uh, and I'd love for people to have some insight on the journey that's brought you to where you are today.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. We really have. It's it's interesting from like your relationship with my wife, who's a naturopath, not retired, but naturopath to mastermind talks to, to everything else. I've been in the fitness industry for 17 years. And I've been in the online fitness industry for 10. I wrote a book called Ignite the Fire when I was 24 years old and self-published it because I was too ignorant of all of the reasons why I shouldn't write a book for my industry when I was 24 years old that I just went and wrote the book. And, and that's kind of been my entire career as I knew so little about what I should do or shouldn't do that I just did the thing. Okay, And, and this was before, you know, the age of the internet really took off. And so... How do you self-publish a book? Well, I don't know, but there's other books out there. So, you know, I'll, I'll figure there's editors involved. So I went to the bookstore to other fitness books and I found other fitness books and I cold emailed the authors of the books and I said, hey, can I get an introduction to your, to your editor? That's how I found my editor. Uh, you know, Brad Schoenfeld introduced me to Kelly James Anger who edited the book. It was, it's kind of always been that along the way. Like you don't need to figure out five steps in the future, just figure out the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step, and the next step. that Process has kicked me in the teeth a few times for sure. Ouch. Kind of making it up as I go. But it's also allowed me to get ahead of things in a lot of ways. It's allowed me to do things really interesting and kind of figure out and forge my own path for better or for worse. So I wrote and self published that book for trainers. I started a website called the Personal Trainer Development Center off the heels of it, which uh, came out in 2011. It's reached over 20 million trainers now. Uh, There's about 1,540 free articles for trainers on there. And so we were syndicating content before that was cool or even a word because I kind of looked around. I was like, well, I've got this website that has education for people who work in fitness. Uh, There's other people who write on their own websites, good articles. Why don't I just ask them if they want to publish their articles on my website? And I paid them 50 bucks and wrote better headlines than they did. And they were ecstatic. And And then the website started to take off. And the same type of thing with online fitness. I created the first ever certification, the first ever textbook for online fitness called the Online Trainer Academy. I started educating people in 2013 about it. And then the first certification came out in 2016. And that's just been my entire career. I mean, there's been the website, there's that certification. I've written 11 books. I've put on five conferences. I've six digital programs. (laughs) I'm coming out with software. I don't even know a bunch of stuff I forgot. Oh, and then and, and we've spent the last nine winters, so four to six months every year abroad with my family. So, traveled the world, lived in 30 different countries, all, the, all that kind of stuff. So, it's certainly not a profit maximization exercise, but it's been pretty fun.
1: Did you grow up in a household where there were just, there were no rules? There was no, like, you have to do it this way?
0: Opposite. Exact opposite.
1: What were you supposed to be?
0: Uh, a doctor. I'm a, a good Jewish boy. What are you talking about?
1: Hava Nagilath let's celebrate
0: I mean I'm from a middle to upper class Jewish neighborhood in Toronto every adult I ever knew was a lawyer doctor dentist teacher accountant and I'm, I'm the youngest of four my my dad's an engineer to business consultant my mom's a teacher my sister's a lawyer my brother's a teacher my other brother's a small business banker I mean it, there was no question whether or not you go through an academic you pursue an academic. Bend. And so I did. Uh, even when I went into university, I mean, I studied kinesiology, but the thought going into university was always that I was going to be a doctor. There was just no question. I, was, I didn't do particularly well in school. I didn't really know how I was going to get into medical school, but I figured I'd figure that out when I get there. Looking back, the clues were there. I never really quite listened well to others. Um, I'm, I'm just unemployable always.
1: I'm unemployable.
0: Yeah, and, and so the clues were there, but it just wasn't. I mean, I didn't go up knowing anybody who did anything different. Even when I started, I mean, the first winter that I had abroad was 2012. It, digital nomadery was not a thing. It wasn't cool. It wasn't something that anybody aspired for. It wasn't even anything that you thought that you could do. And to be honest, the reason why my website, the reason why I focused so much on writing my entire career was that in 2014, I was living on an island called Yang in Thailand, and I was with Allison, who's my wife now. The internet on the island was so shit. I I figured out that I needed to make a decision at that point where I'm either going to focus on what I should do, what the future, what I believe is the future, which is audio and video and, and needs bigger bandwidth and stuff like that. But that was going to limit my ability to move on. At this point, we were quite literally living in a cave, in a cove around the bend, only accessible by boat on Copenhagen in Thailand called Had You On. And I was like, well, I kind of want to do this thing a little bit more, but I can't if I do the audio and video. So, I made a decision to build the reason why my business is writing and text is because at that point, if I wanted to live that kind of a life, it had to be. And I made the decision that I wasn't going to grow it as big as I might ultimately have grown it. I mean, I, I made a very conscious decision not to move to New York City at one point and try to build the hundred million dollar you know business it just um, sure I would love to have it but I'm also not willing to do what it would take to have it and so you can't be jealous or, or, or want something from somebody else or that somebody else has and not be willing to take the whole bag and I was never willing to take the whole bag and it, it's taken me a while to kind of become I guess okay with that fast forward now to
1: 2022 and We opened this conversation, and what was so apparent to me as we were chatting before we started is that you have, in essence, just blown it all up again. In the most I'm (laughs) I'm going to finish my sentence before. before, before, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Everyone needs the context. She continues. You you kind of blew it up. Like you blew it up, blew it up intellectually. You, you blew it up in terms of like, I'm going to refocus and reconstitute, uh, what my version of my team looks like those priorities. And in doing so, one of the sources of inspiration, one of the lights that you drew my attention to was this notion of, uh, virtual hamburgers. <laughs> and, and to me, believe me, everyone, we're still going somewhere with this, <laughs> this, this, this very positive blow up and this uh, attention to ideas such as virtual hamburgers is a testament to who I've always thought you were, which is someone who just hangs out outside the box yeah. and outside the set of rules and standards. That sort of linger in this entrepreneurial space, and I want to just really understand what triggered that. Where, how did you get to this new? Was it the pandemic that triggered that? Like, what, 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 what's behind it?
0: I mean, look, there's fads and trends. A lot of people pay a lot of attention to fads and not enough attention to trends. And so, there's a lot of stuff going on in this entrepreneurial space right now. Where you see a lot of you see a lot of movement in a lot of areas. People are creating content all over the place. I mean, in Investing, you know, it's become cool to be basically a day trader, like flip NFTs and crypto, whatever it is. Basically, and there's just there's a lot of fads. But underlying all those fads, there's some very fascinating trends. And the fads are generally for people trying to make a quick buck, trying to you know sell high, buy low. Which, if you hit it at the right time, great. But like, there's this misconception that if somebody's successful, they made good decisions. I think people underestimate just how much luck is involved in in success. I mean, you could make an unbelievably good decision and be right 80% of the time and still have it work out badly for you 20% of the time. You could make a god-awful decision and only be right 20% of the time and still have it win. And so when looking to others, it's really important to try to delineate whether they actually made a string of good decisions based off of fundamental principles that you think are worth copying, or whether they just got lucky, like straight up. Just because something good happened to somebody doesn't mean there's anything to, to catch from that. And so there, There's fascinating trends happening now, which are – I mean, we talk about the, the hamburger thing. The reason, the, all that got brought up because I recommended a podcast to you to listen to, and it's uh, Mr. Beast on the Joe Rogan podcast. I I mean, this is the first time I've listened to the Joe Rogan podcast in like five years. I can't, it was time to listen to a three hour podcast like four times a week or whatever the heck it is. I tried listening to a few of the really controversial ones just because I was just interested in what it was. And I just kept flipping through. I'm like, if I've got to fast forward this thing five times, it's just, I'm just not, I'm just not interested. But I was hooked to the point where I I just said to Allison, I was like, I'm going to go for a walk for an hour because I wanted to finish it. Mr. Beast is a YouTuber, he's 23 years old. And you got to listen to this episode to, you know, just, just the obsessive focus. And it's not, it's not anything for a lot of people. But what he's done is, in my eye, unparalleled, like in history, how quickly he's done it. And so, this guy across all of his YouTube channels has over 200 million subscribers. Nice. He, he basically doesn't make money because he just puts it back into making bigger and bigger and bigger videos. Like, like He'll make a video, it'll cost him $2, $3, 4000000 million for a single YouTube video. But off the heels of that, he has Mr. Beast Burger, which is basically uh, uh, somebody who owned 300 restaurants, went to him and said, hey, let's build a virtual hamburger company. Mr. Beast had this massive brand, this massive distribution network. And now there's these burgers, they don't have their own burger joint, they're, they're apparently building their own physical ones. But there's over 3,000 restaurants that carry... Mr. Beast Burgers. And they train them how to cook them, how to wrap them, whatever it is. This is a $100 million business. And they're onboarding 50 new restaurants every week, just like, you know, that's they just can't do any faster than that. There's more restaurants that want to. He has a snack bar company. He has a philanthropy channel where they donated over a million meals last month. This gets 23 years old. 23 years old. And the trend here which we see. So, everybody, you know, NFTs. Okay, well, NFTs are digital art. Well, like, you weren't collecting art before. So, why are you collecting <laughs> art now, right? I, and I'm a, I'm a big, big proponent for the utility of non-fungible token technology. And I can talk to you about how I'm invested in that cryptocurrency sense within the trade finance sector, because I think the underlying technology, there's a lot there, but I'd never collected. Di- so, so that fad is, is not interesting. But the trend behind it, the community growth, the personality driven, you look at what Gary Vaynerchuk has done with his V friends with that. Well, I'm not buying a V friend, but I'm following that because it's just such a testament. Gary Vaynerchuk had shitty sketch out drawings that looked like my five year old made them. Fuck. Of an elephant. Sorry. That outsold a Jackson Pollock at Sotheby's auction. Holy shit, what is going on?
1: What is going on?
0: What's going on is personal brand is everything. Companies that don't have businesses that don't have a strong personal brand at the front, you're just not you're not going to be able to compete. I mean, I've I've gym owners asking me all the time like, "Hey, what do we do with our social media?" I'm like, "Do you have a personality to, to, to brand at the front of it?" Well, no. Don't even bother. Don't bother with social media. There's no point. Build your pages, send ads, challenges, you're done. Don't try to build a page. Don't care about your followers. Don't care about content. It's not worth your time.
1: Is social media the only place? Is it the only place to build this personal brand?
0: Well no. I mean, I think it really depends on what you what you want to build and what game you're playing. Like like if you're gonna be if you just wanna get some more patients, some more clients, it's a totally different beast than if you want to become an influencer. The game that I'm playing for example, is I can create content up the wazoo. Wazoo. And so I'm creating content. I'm building as big of an audience I can because I want to build a whole bunch of businesses that are run by other people that leverage my brand. Well, I don't expect to even start that for the next three years, which means for the next three years, my sole focus is on my personal brand and I'm not even trying to make money. Now, if I was trying to fill a gym, if I was trying to fill a practice, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And that's, I think, where a lot of folks are getting into trouble these days is they're they're following the lead or they're following the advice of people who are playing different games than them. And there's nothing wrong with it, right? But I'll tell you straight up, you probably shouldn't copy me. Because you're not willing to spend the next three years creating content every single day before getting some sort of a serious return, you know you want to build your, your patient base or client base or whatever it is, and figuring out the best way to point at words and space to some trending song on Instagram is not the way to do that. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying that that there is. It's just. If you want to be an influencer, learn what influencers do. If you want to be busy locally, like like I don't think most most practitioners, most trainers, most people who work in health and fitness, I don't think ever need to use social media. It certainly shouldn't be central to what they do. They need to get out into their communities more. I'll give you an example to really bring this home. I was on a podcast for uh gym owner mentorship and... He was talking to me that the host of the podcast was talking to me about they're in Sacramento, California, and that'll become an important in a second. And the the owner of the of the mentorship and the and the host of the podcast was asking me or was talking to me about how they they encourage their people to do luncheon and loans and, and get into local businesses and things like that. And I'm like, no, oh, that's fine. But like I've played that game, Lunch Alerts, <laughs> very much fun. And, and also, like nobody really wants to be there for the most part. Like, you're trying to convince some often middle management HR person to let you come in and educate the people that may or may not really want to be there. Like, it's kind of a big ask. It, it's, so there's nothing wrong with it. But I, I kind of said to him, like, can we do better? Well, what's your goal here? Your goal is to build a reputation locally in your town. Your goal is to build a high-end clientele. Well, we know that the major motivating factors for humans is sex and status. And so, what if instead of creating copycat content, showing the same deadlift tutorial every single day on Instagram, trying to be more entertaining than somebody else in a reel or doing lunch and learns or whatever, what if you created a podcast that you called the best of Sacramento. And on this podcast, you feature the trailblazers, the business leaders that are thrusting the city of Sacramento into the 21st century, leading the church. And by the way, you just happen to own a gym in Sacramento. And then you're not calling up a middle management HR person. You're calling up the CEO or the CEO secretary and asking if Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so would like to be a guest on the best of Sacramento. Well, now you have in our one-on-one conversation with the CEOs of all of the top companies, you're probably going to have more one-on-one eye contact conversational time with them than they have with anybody else that month. And then you can start connecting all of the business leaders. Then you become the center of like, so what are you doing? And by the way, now you're also getting mentored by all of the business leaders in your city. That's like, do five episodes a week. You know what I'm saying? That's why I say, like, what game are you playing? What are you trying to achieve? Who are you going after? And is there a better way to do it that may be not in front of your face? Because you log into Instagram every single day and you see your follower account and you get upset that it's not growing. You think that that's important, but just because it's present and in your face doesn't mean it's important.
1: Were you always an entrepreneur? I don't know. What does that mean? I mean, I, like, like
0: you, you, I, I don't know how old you are. It's weird for me to ask. My guess is we're about the same age. I'm 36 how old years old. do you
1: old. think? I, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> I would guess at least 27.
1: Oh, um, thanks, John.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm 36 years old. Like entrepreneurship growing up in a, like I said, you know, middle to upper class were second-generation Jewish immigrants. I mean, my grandparents immigrated, generally escaping Eastern, almost all of them escaping Eastern Europe for the war, and came here and did labor jobs so that their sons and daughters could become professionals, so that their sons and daughters could go up the social ladder one more and, you know, the higher-level professionals or professionals that without debt. And that's what my parents did. I mean, my grandparents owned a stamp Shop was a was a mailman, so my parents could graduate and become a teacher and an engineer, and they had debt so that their kids could then go to university and graduate without debt and get that head start. Entrepreneurship wasn't a thing; it just wasn't spoken about. It wasn't that it, it wasn't that there was anything wrong with it. I never came up against any barriers, but it just wasn't. I had no role models that were entrepreneurs growing up everybody in my neighborhood was a lawyer, doctor, dentist, teacher, accountant. Every single one of my friends, literally every single one of my friends growing up is a lawyer, doctor, teacher, dentist, accountant, or banker. Every single one.
1: Where did your sense of self-actualization come from? Because as you're talking about any of these things, there's, there's no hesitation in your exploration of ideas that break from the way we are supposed to do it. It's almost like you're you're looking for like, you're, you're, you're just not looking at the room the same (laughs) way the rest of us are. And there's a lot of people who are waiting for permission to think that way or waiting for permission to act that way. I I don't get the sense from you that that is part of your inner dialogue.
0: Why not? What could possibly happen? What, uh, you know, what's the worst case scenario here? Shit doesn't work. I learned something. I've done so many things. And I guess now looking back, at the beginning, I was just making it up as I went. And I saw a talk I remember by Michael Gerber, you know, of the E Myth and stuff like that. And I think, I mean, a lot of people say that book was really important to them. I think I read that book too late that it wasn't as as important to me. But I, I still think it's it's good information. But I, I saw a talk by him, and he started, it and he walked up to the stage, and he he used a handheld mic. And the first thing you need to know about listening to speakers is if they use a handheld mic, you know, to listen to them because they've been around for a while. And he just said. He said one line that has always stuck to me. And he said, you know, I'm just making this up as I go. Don't you realize that you can too? This is like a gray-haired 80-some-year-old man known as one of the business leaders of the last like 50 years, right? And he's just like, I'm just making this up, man. You can too. That's what kind of cemented it for me. But I'm at the point now where I've realized that you can't ever know enough before you start. To be able to guarantee whether something is going to work or not work. And so, I get to a point where I just do a risk assessment. If this works, is it going to work big enough for it to be worth it for me? If it doesn't work, am I okay with taking that loss? It's the same amount of work to work on something that has the potential to be super big as it is to work on something that could never be that big. And uh, And a lot of people are just working on projects that – could never be that big. And I, I, I've done that. They're I just mean,
1: working. There are also heck? some people are just working.
0: Some people are just working. That's true. You like know. I've written 11 books. Like what a stupid, like I've self-published 11 books. Like what a stupid thing to do. Why the heck would you ever self-publish 11 books? And so, I've realized it over the years. But in doing that, one of my books continues to do very well. So, happens to be the first one. <laughs> but you you realize that with all of the projects that I've done, of all of the seminars I have put on, conferences I put on, whatever, basically one thing has funded eighty percent of just about everything else that I do. And and I I would guess that that's pretty common. You don't really know what that one thing is going to be, and so you've got to try a lot in order to figure that out. And if you if you try a lot of things, you'll figure out that nothing ever works out the way that you think that it will. But oftentimes, things will work out in a way that you never could have anticipated if you didn't just try them.
1: Yeah. And just lean into that into that piece. Here's my question. You and I both work... <laughs> eventually I get there.
0: This you is and I an both possible podcast for you because I'm just going off in every
1: direction. Rate your podcast guest on one to 10 for their ability. I'm just teasing you. I make it easy for you. You don't have to. You eat. do. This is, I could just sit and I could just listen because I love these ideas that draw me outside of the box. I'm not comfortable inside of the box. It's crowded right. inside of the box. I'm very happy to step. Everybody's out. doing the same I, shit. They are. Like, so I'm like, very happy. I'm, so so I, let me give you, let me my give you an example. Before you please, ask a question, please, let me get can you give walk. me an example? So,
0: I, I write most of what I do is I write. And I feel like for my industry, I write as well or better than anybody else. I'm only saying that because I've written over a thousand articles and over a million words in the last decade for my industry. Like, I've put in the reps, right? So, I, I know how to write for my industry. I had, a, I had a media strategist who worked for us who wanted me to be on TikTok. And I said, I'm happy to have an account on TikTok as long as I never have to download the app and never have to log in. I said fine. I said cool. Create the account. I said, but here's the thing: I'm not going to go on there and do videos because, and even if you look at my at my Instagram, I mean, it's growing really fast, and I write on it predominantly. It's like I basically publish full articles on Instagram. And I just said, why would I go onto a platform like TikTok late and do the same thing as everybody else, but worse? just doesn't seem to make any sense because I know that I I don't give a shit about video editing at all. I don't care about figuring out what the trends are and going with that. It's just It's just a game that I just don't want to play. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just a game that I don't want to play. And so, I know that I'm not going to do what TikTok wants. So, you know what we're doing on TikTok? We're just going to animate the words that I'm writing to go up the screen, like pure like Star Wars style, as the words like come up. Again, why, why would you go to a place and do the same thing as everybody else, but not as good as them? When you have something else that you already do better, simply because that's the way things are supposed to be on that place. Doesn't make much sense to me to do it that way. And so, I've just decided to opt out. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't, I don't give a shit. It's what I feel like doing anyway.
1: Is this thinking – What was your question? <laughs> that is an excellent point. Is this – I'm going to circle back to that. Is this, <laughs> is this thinking the privilege of someone who's been in business for 17 years?
0: This thinking is the privilege of somebody who has been fortunate enough to have a bunch of successes under his belt and to have a few million dollars in the bank and the space to move. I've bootstrapped everything I've done. I've never taken investment. Everything that I've made, I've paid for. I've never taken debt. I've never taken investment. And everything I did, I just used to fund the next thing. 10 years.
1: What is the framework for thinking and acting outside the box when you are new to the game?
0: You give me more on the question. I like the question but I need a bit more time to think. So if you ask it a different way, that could help. Yeah.
1: I want to think about our respective industries. You're working with trainers, teaching them how to go virtual. I'm working with practitioners, teaching them how to think outside the box and deliver virtual care. The tools that you and I would deploy at this phase of our career are different than the tools. And in some cases, the game that uh, individuals who are newer to this entrepreneurial journey are going to have to explore and participate within. But I still want to inspire them. And I think, well, I know you do too, because the very virtue of what you do brings people outside the box. How do we get them to differentiate and know when I'm thinking outside the box and I'm thinking in this innovative way from, you probably just need to, to show up and, and lend your voice. How do we keep them from opting out of everything in the spirit of thinking outside the box?
0: I think about it akin to a monkey throwing poop at the wall. It's totally where I thought you were going to go. Yeah. Yeah, this was the plan all along. (laughs) I can feel it. You never know what's going to stick. Don't pretend like you know before you do it. You don't even probably, if if you're early on and you haven't created content or anything like that, you don't really know what you're good at yet. You don't know what feels natural to you yet. And if you sit in a bunker in your basement soundproof away from your three kids, you know, by yourself, you'll never know that. So, you've got to put stuff into the world. You've got to shake a lot of hands. You've got to meet a lot of people. And you've got to start just putting out a whole bunch of messages in different ways. And pay attention to the feedback that you start getting because you may be surprised that there are some things about you that you feel like are really important, like your own philosophy towards health and fitness and wellness. Or the importance of deep health, or some dogmatic belief that you have that's changed your life for, for whatever reason, some way of eating or supplementation protocol, or something. That probably won't matter at all from a promotion. How you actually get a patient or client results and, and how you market to acquire that client or patient are, in almost every case, completely different. And so it's not downplaying how you get the results. That's important, but but you might be interested. For example, like I put out a comment one day on how pineapple on pizza is like the stupidest, grossest thing ever because it is. It's disgusting. It's disgusting, and anybody who thinks otherwise is objectively wrong. Oh, wise guy, eh? For some reason, that it was like a little innocuous comment in like the bottom post, and all of a sudden, on this post about something completely else, I start. I get like ten comments, which at the time was like a ton for me about that. I was like, okay, well. There's clearly something here that allows this pe- – like, it's stupid. This is stuff that allows that, that people to connect with you in a little bit deeper way. And when you find something that connects, just keep keep pounding at that message. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, to go back to him, how many times has he made posts about the importance of hustle up until a few years ago? He's kind of gone off of that now. but And, and it wasn't. It wasn't that that was the only thing he cared about. It was that it was like a monkey throwing poop at a wall. He threw a whole bunch of stuff at that wall, and that's what stuck. If you look at my Instagram, I'm I'm at it's Goodman on Instagram. I talk a lot about how the types of workouts that you see at Instagram are not actually intelligent training in any way, shape, or form. What appeals on Instagram is not actually what works in the gym. Instagram self selects for sensationalistic variability, which the reality of it is. That's not how the human body adapts. It adapts to more boring-looking, progressive training. Is that the number one most important thing to me? No, no, we're close. But that gets the best response amongst the audience that I really want to serve with deeper types of content. And so I know that if I want to create material that's going to attract the type of folks that I want to then serve, I can talk about that topic amongst a few others and that's going to attract them and then i can go super super deep on the nuances of the importance of knee, non-exercise uh, induced activity thermogenesis you know the importance of walking for deep health and i put you know an eight slide like 750 word post off of that that got seen by 80,000 people well if i just did that without the first wouldn't have had the impact and so You don't know what those messages are. I didn't know what those messages were. I just tried a whole bunch of different things that I knew that I thought my people might care about and paid attention. Then the second is just learn how to tell good stories. Every piece of content you put out is a story. Every story has a hero. Every hero has a villain.
1: What are the trends you want us to pay attention to?
0: Personal brand. It's all that matters. Don't put your logo as your profile picture for your company. Put a face Make sure your name is there. I shouldn't have to click five times onto your link and onto your website to figure out what your first name is. Javier, who I had to do that through this morning, because I want to talk to a human. I want to say hi to you by your first name. I try to talk to as many people as I can through social media email. I, mean, I probably answer personally 200 messages a day, every single day, some days more. And it's me. That's what I want to be doing. And I want to be using your name because I want to actually talk to you why I have a first name field on my email. It's not for improved deliverability or open rates or conversion rates. No, it's because when you reply to that email and talk to me, I want to be able to actually talk to a human and not an email account. And so I think the biggest trend is the personal brand. It, it, I spent, and, and I say this because it, it was painful to me. I spent a decade building a professional brand, the Personal Trainer Development Center. The PTDC, not to be confused with the Pakistani Tourism Development Center.
1: Not to be confused.
0: Not to be confused. Don't look at that hashtag. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not all ours. And so, you know, I did what you were supposed to do, building a company. I hired VPs away from uh, large insurance companies, fitness companies, that type of thing to work for me, all these, all these people with great resumes and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I've, I've since let all of them go. And the reason isn't that they aren't good at what they do or that they're not smart. They weren't the right people for those rules. But more than anything, we were working on the wrong thing. Because I can build Jonathan Goodman and Jonathan Goodman can then push to certification, mentorship, software, anything, Hamburgers,
1: hamburgers,
0: whatever, virtual hamburgers. Jonathan Goodman can push to all of these things personal trainer development center can. Jonathan Goodman can push to the personal trainer development center, right? A personal brand is how you build a business. It's not
1: in 2022. Brandy the business.
0: Yeah. And um, that to me is, that's the trend. The only other thing that you can do is is play the paid media game, which I mean, at this point, with the costs of if you're doing it more conventionally with you know Facebook Instagram ads or Google ads or whatever it is YouTube ads the cost per lead acquisition is so high and then you're what trying to get somebody onto an email list where a cold traffic email list acquired through paid what are you going to get a 15% open rate a 1% click rate not even like and then and then you're trying to convert them <laughs> right. So, you're paying 30 or 40 bucks to acquire a customer or to acquire a lead. 15% of those leads are going to open up your email in the first place. 1% of those leads are going to click on a link. And then you're trying to convert that last 1%. Holy shit, your average order value and lifetime value has got to be high. It's a tough business model. And so, that's why you see this proliferation of super high margin businesses like. High-end coaches and mentorships are basically the only people to advertise because they're the only people who can afford it. If your sale is going to be 5000 bucks, and your cost to deliver that sale is going to be 200 well, you can afford to spend $4,000 acquiring a customer.
1: I could do this all day long. I just <laughs> love lifting up the veil on how people think when they have a non-conventional approach. To you keep impact. saying that. Is
0: this non-conventional? I don't it know. Is non- I mean, it's yes, non conventional, but like all of the people that you admire are doing this. Correct. All of the companies you admire are doing this, so it's non-conventional because you don't see it often. But if you pay attention to the companies that are constantly in the news, that are constantly making impact in your industry in the world, I have a Tesla. Have I ever seen a Tesla advertisement? Probably not. But I can't not see Elon Musk's stupid face. Right. What made me want to buy one? I don't care about cars. I knew nothing about it. I knew literally nothing about the car when I bought it. I didn't even know what it looked like until it got delivered.
1: I have a series of questions I like to throw down. I do
0: like the car, by the way, now that I have it.
1: ah, I couldn't – I you know, I test drove a Tesla. I couldn't –
0: I love it. I wouldn't buy anything else.
1: I'll get there. With the gas prices, the car that I selected is maybe not – the best choice, but it makes me happy. I'm happy you've got your Tesla. I will circle back to that, piece.
0: Look, with the amount more that I spent on the Tesla for what I would have spent <laughs> on like a different car, I could have bought a few gas tanks, <sighs> even at these fair, prices. Fair. Yeah. What are your you're questions? Saving what you saving the
1: planet. What you got? You're- you're
0: not really. You're not actually saving happy. the planet with a Tesla. Like that's, in almost everywhere you look, that's not true. I mean, the, their production mechanisms, the way that like you have to basically live in a place where the energy is really clean energy mm-hmm. in order for it to actually have that much of an impact, which Ontario, a lot of it is hydro. So it's actually pretty good. But a lot of places where people have te- uh, Teslas where it's like coal energy and stuff like that, it's just like, it's not any better, man, than gas. It's-
1: no, I know it's coming at it a different way, but it is, it is the product that will lead us to that. That's the hope. Yes. Yeah. So I call these impact ingredients. Because I'm really curious. and we Oh, that's
0: good. Alliteration. I like that. Awesome. Awesome Thank alliteration. You. Yes.
1: And so, like, you know, one of the things that, that I do feel is is part of that impact is the capacity to think outside the box. But we don't need to go there anymore because we've been there for the last 40 minutes. But here's what I do want to know. How do you cultivate courage to take action on the ideas? Because all the ideas in the world don't matter. It's the It's the capacity to take action. Where is your courage cultivated from?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that... Courage is natural to anybody. I, I think that courage is a learned attribute. I think courage is forms when you do stuff. You got to understand really fear first in order to understand courage. And Seneca once said, uh, if you wish to stave off all fear, imagine that the worst that can happen most definitely will happen. Fears imagined, fears in our head, feels an irrational response to the unknown. And so if we, we fear things because we don't take the time to really define them, And our brain takes us to all of these places. Like if you were to actually say, what am I scared of? You wouldn't be able to define it. And the reason for that is that that's literally what fear is. And so the first thing to do if you're you're scared of taking action is define what the absolute worst case scenario is. If you were to do this and everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong, what would it mean? What would it look like? Literally write that down. Because when you do that... Then you have a, a, a black or white decision. Is this something I'm willing to risk? If the answer is no, okay, don't do it. Most often, you'll be like, well, actually, it ain't that bad. And then you, have, you don't have feel and you can, you can try the thing. And courage, courage forms when we try stuff. Because when you try stuff and it doesn't work out, the most common response in almost every case is that, well, that wasn't so bad. Or it worked out in a way you couldn't have anticipated. And so, when you try stuff, you gain more courage to try more stuff, which gives you more courage to try more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. But it has to start somewhere. And so, try something small. Put yourself out there. So, somebody on the internet called you a name. Who cares? Was that so bad? I mean, was that so, was that so bad? If it was and you really can't handle it, well, then maybe you need to create some sort of alter persona who nobody knows who it is. <laughs> Or some like, you know, a a personal brand doesn't necessarily have to be you. For example, the software that we're putting out called Quick Coach, I had this idea a while ago of creating, because the the problem with something like software is it becomes really difficult to like represent it. It's not a physical thing. Mm -hmm. And so to get the permission to show somebody it is actually a big part of the job. Once you show somebody it, it should sell itself. But how do you get somebody to take the time to look at it? Well, it's kind of hard because it's, it's kind of an intangible thing. So, I had this idea of creating a character called Quincy the Cat, who was a smooth-talking cat who takes no shit. And Quincy the Cat was going to be the spokesperson for – he was, you know, going to walk work in the gym and, you know, like I said, smooth-talking. He was going to slow jam and build whole media campaigns around Quincy. I don't know. We still might do it. I still think it's pretty funny. But... <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like,
0: you, you, you get what I'm saying?
1: Yes, I get what you're saying.
0: Quincy. I, I would love to do Quincy. I had a friend who was going to do it too. He was going to be the voice.
1: Oh, I kind of I like, <laughs> like Quincy the cat.
0: I like Quincy the cat a lot. I like the word Q is a really fun word to use. It was a really, the letter Q is a really fun letter to use. Q
1: is a good Quincy. letter. Quincy. What's your non-negotiable?
0: Yeah, you can, you can do a lot with it. I don't think I have one. I mean, I'll try stuff. The, the main thing now with me is... I've decided to opt out of all of the things that I am told by business leaders or marketing blogs or whatever that I should do. Because I've realized that for the most part, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, And so, I just just ignore it.
1: Except ours.
0: Well, I mean, even mine, like you've been in this for long enough to know that just any advice you give is nuanced. and, Mm -hmm. And there's always various layers of it. I mean- There's this argument in behavioral psychology where, you know, whether humans are rational or irrational, and, you know, you have Dan Ariely writing, predictably irrational, and then you have Dan Kahneman basically saying that there's no rationality, it doesn't exist because by definition, humans have to be rational. So, you have this argument back and forth, and and my belief after looking at all of this is that humans aren't rational or irrational. Humans are post-rationalizing species. We're basically all guessing. We're, we're all making it up as we go. And then once something has happened, we're really, really good at rationalizing and smoothing out the edges and creating post narratives about how it happened. And you can't sell advice that's messy. You have to sell a system. And so, by definition, you've got to smooth out the edges and have a path. Whereas the reality of it is, it never happens that way. It doesn't mean that you can't use that as a guidepost, but it becomes very difficult as an educator to build. Stuff. I mean, I've sold you know do-it-yourself type programs for a lot of years. There's so much that you have to read between the lines in order to get enough out of it to make it yours. There are so many deeper conversations you have. There's so many things you need to try and listen to feedback and adjust and adapt. And a lot of the a lot of the advice and. And, and marketing and programs and stuff like that, it's just, it's just too smooth. It's too straight-lined. It doesn't, doesn't work. like Life doesn't work like life that. Nobody knows much. what's going to happen next. Literally, nobody knows. Look at, look at any analysis by anybody saying that they thought that the future was going to happen. It's, it's like, I have no idea. So, this is starting now to become more widely accepted. Um, there's a book called The Psychology of Money written by Morgan Housel, which is one of my favorite books I've read in the last few years. I've read it a few times, and he just tweeted out a couple of days ago. He's like, "I'm glad to tell you all that I have absolutely no idea what happens next," and and I think it's very important for all of us to build a plan, accepting that we have literally no idea what's going to happen in the future, but we can we can make bets that skew the odds in our favor. And make sure that no matter what we do is going to take us out of the game so that we can take another swing. Cause again, even if you have a 95% chance of your bet working out for you, 5% of the time it ain't going to work. You still got to be able to get up to bat the next time and the next time and the next time. So how can you make that happen? And the way to do that is to look for what's called asymmetric bets, which basically means if this wins, it's going to win very, very big. If it loses, It's not going to lose as big, which means that I can win one time and lose 10 times and I'd still come out on top. And that brings back to what we spoke about earlier, which is about just making sure that what you're taking on, if it works... Is going to work big enough for it to be worth the time you're putting into it.
1: I love it. I, I thought you were going to end with virtual hamburgers, but I'm I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to take that advice. We're going to we're we're going to pull it. We're going to pull it right here, John Goodman. I adore the opportunity to have conversations with you. You are a big thinker, doing big, impactful, amazing work in the world. Where can we send people to follow along on the next stage of your journey?
0: Right now, Instagram's the best, at it's Coach Goodman is the best place to be. And then if you're, I mean, if you're interested in fitness, it's interesting, actually, a lot of practitioners are looking into our software right now, a lot of chiropractors and physios and, and medical people, because our software allows them to like, create a really quick workout and send it to a client professionally. So um, even if you don't work in fitness, it might be useful for you. Uh, it's called QuickCoach. So quickcoach.fit is the website. And yeah, it's 100% free, so may as well.
1: Amazing. We are gonna hook everybody up on uh, our show notes. You can reach those by heading over to Meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. John, thanks so much for being here. You're so well
0: organized. Jesus, I'm so jealous. Ugh. Okay, I'm gonna walk over to the library now and figure out if there's a table available for me. That's how well organized I am.
1: <laughs> you've got this. You've got you've got your you've got your system. <laughs> Thank you for being here for this.
0: You bet. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. This was great. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in, or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel, and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.